hello and welcome back to another Business in Games podcast. So this episode is a little bit different from the rest. For those of you who follow us on social media, you might have seen that we've started announcing some live podcasts recently. And a lot of that was due to, I guess, me seeing that, you know, esports panels were becoming extremely common, especially in Australia, where I'm based, and even in New Zealand as well, just across the ditch. And usually they only really kind of scratch the surface of discussion. A lot of the time, what I find is panels go from, yes, esports is real, to the day in the life of a professional gamer, touch on esports at the Olympics, whether it should be, whether it shouldn't be, etc., and then talking a little bit about women in esports as well and some of the ups and downs that are based around that. So, you know, what I wanted to do was get some expert guests on board and really start to unpack things and look much more deeply, get a few guests in specific topics. And for this first one, we're discussing diversity in esports. And it's important to remember that diversity isn't just male, female or sex or gender. There are so many more things to it and we do unpack some of this stuff there so apologies in advance for the slightly lower audio quality that will be coming along with these but yeah i think you i think you will hopefully enjoy some of the conversation that happens around there i think that we managed to unpack a few things based around twitch streaming esports some pathways talking about the end goal Uh, and many other questions and then followed up after the main podcast section we do have a Q&A from the audience as well so if you are free and you are in Australia and looking to attend some of these we're doing them each month this first one was done in Melbourne on August the 18th we're doing one at Reload Bar in Canberra and then we've got a few unannounced upcoming ones we'll be going to Sydney most likely soon uh, going to Brisbane as well and trying to kind of share the love and then maybe go back and, and do mostly the eastern states but if you're very interested in having us there let us know if you have a venue that you'd like to um, provide to us or, or partner with us for this as well please let us know and a last thing before we kick off just a thanks to our sponsors for making this happen which are PLE Computers Paradox Gaming and then also we had some support from Red Bull for this event so without further ado I'll uh, get you into the podcast Thanks for thanks for joining us here today for the Business and Games podcast. My name is Chris May Smith. I have two lovely guests with me today. Would you like to introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about how you got to where you are right now? Uh, my name is Zane Woodhead. Um, I guess I ended up in esports because I was a professional player for League of Legends um, two to three years ago. Um, I took a, about a year break and then I came back more in like assisting with coaching and kind of taking more of like a strategy point of view to the game. And that's where I am now. Yeah, fantastic. Hi, I'm Stephanie Yu. Um, I go by the online uh, alias of Rain. I started in esports about two and a half years ago. Initially, I just took a gap year and just thought, I love games, that's all I want to do. And then I thought, hey, why not make it a job? Let's make this a career and started off playing CS and then joined all these different organisations to um, get a more... uh, a wider perspective on esports as a whole. Fantastic. So I guess we want to go right back to the start. Let's let's start with both of you, I guess, painting a bit of a picture as to how you got started in esports. And that's something that we talk about in business and games across all of our guests. Uh, and obviously we're doing something a little bit different here today. But just want to start with you, Zane, and, and said, what's the, what's the pathway from, you know, you could say Joe to Pro, or what's the pathway from you just not knowing anything about video games to being involved in, in what you call esports? Yeah, so for myself, I definitely was just playing League of Legends too much. 
um, I got to a really high rank and through like scouting and talent agent like uh, like divisions on teams I guess I got approached and got asked to kind of practice with some teams um, and that way that kind of just ended up spiraling into being offered like being like playing on stages and in online events and being recognized and then being offered main like starting positions on like established organization teams to playing in the very first official League of Legends Oceanic Pro League. Yeah, fantastic. So if you had a little bit of advice, I guess, for someone who wanted to reach out and, and join their first professional based team, uh, what what should somebody prepare themselves for? What are some things that people might know that they might encounter? I think like mentality is a really big one. Um, a lot of teams struggle to keep like rosters and players that just have a really strong kind of professionalism within League of Legends. So if and like so if, if you just have the communication, so communication is super important. Like get, I think it's really important for you to get in contact with the teams and find out who, like in the long run, who who you want to play with, play for essentially, and that way like proving that you have like these skills outside of the game to like say like in contact with them and prove that you're like professional and just kind of like passionate about the game and they'll definitely at least offer you a position yeah fantastic and you know for those of for those of you who are here live and and those that have listened to the other podcasts before you'll find that passion is one of the most common words that most people talk about in esports you can't necessarily live off esports dollars unless you're at the top a lot of the time which um, you know there are a lot of listeners that listen into the podcast who are from traditional sporting backgrounds and it it mirrors exactly the same kind of thing there's a vast majority of people making no money uh, and then there's a smaller amount of people that make a little bit of money and then often with traditional sports there's a select amount of people that make a lot of money so yeah it's about passion often when you're getting up to the top and if you can follow the kind of the guidelines that you were talking about I think it's a fantastic way so moving on to Steph coming from CSGO a game of my own heart uh, which is you know a fantastic first person shooter how did you find your your way into it and then how did you progress from a player into more of a managerial style role um so initially when I was a player um only reason why I became a player was you know a lot of people talking in games saying, you know, girls can't play the game and, you know, like, you know, that's totally fine. I was very bad at the game at the start, but, you know, I decided, you know what, I'm going to prove them wrong. I started, you know, studying CS, you know, started analysing the game and got a lot better and then, you know, started making a team with one of my really good friends at the time and she was an incredible player and made an incredible team, you know, really strong-minded women who had the same um, visions and through that... Uh, I thought that maybe I wanted to sort of see esports sort of from a managerial position. I guess um, at the time I wanted to sort of um, slowly transition into a business, um, a business role. So management, marketing. Um, so from that, I basically looked into working with um, Athletico, and I think with. Um, I think with sort of like the business side of things, it's very different from being a player. Um, You really have to think about the way that you sort of brand yourself. Um, I think when I was back as as a player, I wasn't too worried about branding myself. I was very much just focused on the game. Um, But I just, you know, wanted to transition into branding myself. So that's what happened. Yeah, fantastic. And, you know, I guess that uh, I guess that brings me to, to one of our questions that we pre-prepared for this is, do you, do you find the differences, do you find there are any differences in diversity and, and the challenges within the player scene and the business scene? Do you think that they're, they're separate or do you think that they often encounter the same kind of concerns? 
I think they're very much integrated. Um, sort of from a player's perspective, they're very much a public figure. Um, you know, I aspire to be like this amazing player in the future or, you know, I want to be like this person, I want to play as good as him. You know, whereas from like a business perspective, um, you kind of have to think about how can we actually do this? Really sort of got to like find ways to tackle diversity um, sort of understand um, how diversity affects esports and how it relates to um, people and how can you make it relate to people. I think finding ways to communicate that um, is more important in a business role. Yeah, and do you have anything to touch on with that at all, Zane? I think Steph has kind of hit it on the head, hit the nail on the head. Um, players are definitely have a much more like, they're, they're essentially like influencers for the game. So they play a massive role in like allowing the audience and like just be able to relate, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's interesting you identify that the difference between the the players and and also the managers and the business types. And this is something that I've I've encountered through some of my other work. Is I find it quite hard to to get players to not only a be advocates for themselves, but b step up into the business side of things. And do you find that that's because the players don't want to cause concern with people they might be playing with in the future, whereas the business people maybe can take a bit of a step back from that affiliation? Is there any way that 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 I can approach that differently, or any other companies within the space? I think sort of from a business perspective, they're very much, um, they sort of see like the bigger picture. They're not so focused on the game itself and, you know, thinking about winning the games, you know, at a very basic level. I reckon that players are more focused on getting their job done. Their job is to play the game. From a business perspective, they have to think about how to best communicate to their audience. That's the main thing. Do you have anything else to touch on with that, Zane? No. <laughs> Fantastic. So I guess I, I wanted to ask one of the ending questions first, and, and this is for both of you. What, what is the end goal for diversity in esports? Is there an end goal? Is that something feasible to say? Um, I think there is. It's a very kind of like a big picture thing, but I think just normalizing just every minority, I think, in esports is such a massive thing that needs, needs to be done. Make, like allowing everyone to like and even from a business side of esports normalizing all of these minorities and allowing people to feel like the, the people they are watching like on stage or the, the events that they're watching have considered them and they, they, they can relate to these people so I think even from a financial side it will uh, like sell more tickets like it'll it's a financial like positive like a net gain for businesses yeah, and that, and that goes back to something that uh, that Dom Remond, the the CEO of, of Gfinity Australia, talked about at the EGA conference on the diversity panel. And obviously, you know, there was a few questions: Why is there a, a white guy on a diversity panel? But it's because he's been a champion of change, as, as a lot of people call him. And, and he says that he's a strong believer that you need a diverse workforce for any business to be successful in any industry whatsoever. So, you know, that kind of want to unpack something else a little bit more and, and create a bit of discussion around how do we how do we discover best practice for promoting diversity? Because we find that, you know, when people are, are either sending people like myself messages on, on what they want to do in the scene or, or people are talking publicly, it's obvious that a lot of people don't agree. So how, how can we find and how can we navigate through to, to find some kind of agreeable avenue to work on diversity? I think it's sort of starting a discussion, honestly. Um, 
everyone's opinion should be heard. I think once you sort of listen to everyone's opinions, you know, whether that's, you know, from the majority or the minority, um, I just think that's sort of the best way to navigate through things. You really need to understand what the majority think of things and also the minority and sort of sort of meet um, in the middle or, you know, finding ways to sort of meet both needs. I think that's the best way to navigate through this. You have anything else to add, Zane, for that? I think it's also a lot on the established businesses and organisations that currently exist as well. I think it takes a lot to kind of get everyone together to kind of talk about the topic as well. Like, it's definitely a discussion thing. And I think kind of meeting in the middle is, yeah, pretty... I would say it's a success. Yeah, fantastic. So taking back to something that, that you mentioned before as well, Steph, about being involved in a, in a, in a female-only CSGO team or, or a team full of girls playing CSGO, do you have an opinion or a stance on the discussion of female-only tournaments versus not only female tournaments? Do you think that there's a distinct advantage to having one way or the other? I think um, with female-only tournaments, I think the experience is different for everyone else. For me, it was very much something... To, it, was, it was an opportunity for me to connect with other females in the industry. It was an opportunity for me to understand, you know, how other people like me work through the industry. It was, you know, networking and things like that. You know, for maybe, maybe for other players it might have been about, you know, being in an all-female scene. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. If that's what they want, you know, opportunities like that should be given for people that want that. Um, but, you know, with female-only tournaments, I think the experience is... It, the outcome is different for everyone. For me, it was very much, you know, community-based. And I know there's a lot of talk about that if females are good enough, they'll make it into into the one of, like, the bigger tournaments with larger prize pools. And, yeah, 100% that is true. If they're good enough, they'll get there. But I think looking from a very, like, a, a grassroots perspective, at the very basic level, I just think that female-only tournaments is almost like a showcase, a showcase showing that, hey, you know, females have a, they have a seat, you know, at this table at eSports. They, they have these opportunities. It's possible for you to have that too. And I think it's more about, uh, it's more about that for me. But yeah, like I said, it's different for everyone. Yeah, and I, obviously I don't you know, want to stay away from too much self-promotion of business and games or anything else I'm involved in, but what, from my personal experience, what I've found with the Women in Games mentoring course that we've been doing, and obviously we've got a fantastic Women in Games mentor in the audience here tonight as well uh, who's worked with us there, and it's been a... It's been a stepping stone for people to get in. Uh, you know, for my personal opinion uh, is is that I'm not a fan of long-term segregation. I don't think it's, it hasn't worked in societies or anything else. But for the Women in Games course, it's been working as a stepping stone for people to gain the confidence to learn from someone who's done it and say, hey, maybe I can replicate that too. And it's something that, that Mads Brown talks about quite a lot or, or Shadowfax, as she's known on Twitter, is having, having uh, role models at the top of people of, of different ethnicities and backgrounds. And, you know, I want to, I guess, touch on something else as well is that obviously we're talking about females in games quite a lot, but there are more, there is more to diversity than just females. So how, how do companies and other people tackle the issue of not just putting specific people on a totem pole? How do you become more diverse without trying to pick these singular champions? You know, for me promoting this event, I didn't want to put on the poster, okay, here's this person's sexuality and this is where they live and this is where they come from and why they're diverse. So how does a company go about that without seeming overly biased? I think um, 
companies sort of have to look at their audience, sort of understand, you know, who is our audience, you know? Is it, are they, you know, are they male or female or, you know, do they identify as something else, you know? What are their age ranges? Are they younger? Are they a little bit older? You know, where, where, where do they come from? What is their cultural background? I think sort of understanding who your audience is, you might be able to better communicate, you know, diversity as a whole. I think starting from there would be a good, a good place. You have anything else to add, Sam? I think there is also strategy behind, like, absolutely just not even playing towards, like, who they represent, I guess. Like, mm-hmm. I think normalising it is a really big issue as well. Like, n- just normalising it in the long run, I think, is, event- like, eventually how you get to a place where every minority kind of feels valued or, like, as equal to the majority in an industry. Yeah, so, you know, with, with any general games, obviously that, you know, if you're going to look at the best people in StarCraft, you go to look to Korea. Mm-hmm. If uh, in the past, if you're looking at CS 1.6, you go to Sweden. How about diversity? Is there any other industries or countries that are leading the charge in this area that, that we can look at for support, advice or any ideas? I actually, yeah, so I was recently, like, before this event, I was thinking about this question quite a lot. And I think... In, especially in the US and with Netflix currently, they're, they're very much with their Netflix original pushing like a movement of uh, like LGBT and like strong like uh, female figures in all of their shows. Mm-hmm. And they've become like really mainstream and everyone is talking about it. It's kind of creating like this noise and everyone, and it's a very important topic I think that's currently going around. And everyone is like very accepting now to like all these shows to the point where they're almost um, I guess looking for more. Yeah, you have anything else to add for them? I definitely agree with that one. Um, we were talking about this, and we were thinking we sort of like touched on points. So to make it more relatable for you know the wider public, I think um, you know with for example um, music, I think there are you know that you have you have amazing people like Troy Sivan, Ariana Grande. They very much maintain their identity, yet they've sort of merged into mainstream. They're very much um, normalised mm-hmm. in sort of like the eye of the wide um, of the public, but they definitely have a very strong, uh, I guess, characteristics about themselves that we accept, and we've just come to just you know, yep, yeah, that's just part of them. I think that's one thing, and yeah. Yeah, I think uh, I think one look at the at the beauty uh, YouTuber segment would probably teach us a lot as well. I think yeah, coming into esports, and you mentioned James Charles, yeah. someone who just did a who just did a tour in Australia, and girlfriend watches beauty YouTubers all the time. So you know things like that, and obviously you mentioned queer eye for the straight guy. It's the thing that came to my my mind straight away when I, when I thought about Netflix and Orange is the New Black and and these other things like that. So trying to tackle this and. You know, I think one of the main reasons why I wanted to make this a topic is is uh, let's create a bit of discussion around some actionable things and some ways that people can actually go ahead. So, let's say that I'm a let's say that I'm an esports team. Let's start off with that within the space. What are my first steps to promoting diversity throughout my audience, throughout my players? What are some what are some ways that I can action change? I think with esports teams, I think it's about sort of giving an opportunity for people to look into their lives, understand them as a person, first of all, and understand who they are. I think it's important for, you know, people to actually understand what diversity actually is. You know, diversity is 
it is such a broad umbrella, covers so much. And I think, you know, sort of allowing people to peer into someone's lives and, you know, understand sort of, you know, who they are as a person, what they do, what esports is about for them, because I believe that esports is different for everyone. It holds different values and, you know, different importances for everyone. Um, I think understanding that and trying to communicate that to people would be good. Yeah. And to add on to that, I think it's, I think in the last like four, four or five years to now, it's come such a, such a long way as well. I feel like with organizations taking more of a like professional role in structuring like the, like an esports team and giving the players what they need, allowing them to have like time to play the game, but also focus on things that they need to do outside of the game as well is a really big deal. I think keeping like a strong mentality and being able to also in just enjoying spending time with like your teammates outside of the game uh, heavily impacts kind of the the bigger picture. Yeah, so you know, I guess what what I'm what I'm understanding from a lot of, of what both of you are saying is it's more about po- it's more about education than it is about policy, and it's about uh, normalising different people from different backgrounds. Is am I am I on the right path with that? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, fantastic. So, obviously, you know, we mentioned before about uh, the player side versus the uh, business side and, and what's different. So. Would you agree then in saying that the companies and businesses within the space need to take an active role in promotion of diversity and they need to lead the charge? Or is it up to, is it up to someone else to do that? Who, who is it up to, to to push this forwards? I think it's on all of us, honestly. Um, players have a lot of influence. You know, businesses have a lot of connections. I think sort of joining the two forces together, you have a lot more power in doing something about this. I think with, you know, players, even if it's just something like having businesses, you know, maybe make a documentary or something showing where this player came from, um, something something even as simple as that. I think that is one way to start things or at least to start a conversation, yeah. Fantastic. So one thing I like to talk about uh, with, with a lot of the mentoring stuff we do at Business and Games is, is the word roadblocks and that's something that I'm coming across more across esports globally. So let's take diversity right back to more of your personal experience and, and what you've experienced and what some of your friends have. What roadblocks have been put in place that you've had to navigate around or have stopped you from advancing? Are there specific are specific things or, or is there specific experiences or encounters that you've had or is it more that you've had a roadblock like you identified before where you don't feel comfortable playing in a male team, for example, you want to make a start in a female team? I think one of the roadblocks for me was, you know, number one being being a female in gaming. You know, you do have this stereotype placed on you and, you know, from thinking about sort of adopting a marketing perspective on this, you know, we understand sex sells. That's, that's you know, that's the truth and that's, you know, that's something that does happen in esports. You know, female teams sometimes are sexualized and this doesn't apply to all female teams, but for some, yes. And maybe that's their way of branding things. For me, I very much wanted to sort of brand myself as a female that just, you know, loves gaming. That's that's it. That's, that's just the bottom line for me. And another roadblock was also, uh, I think, having... Having my parents understand this at the time when I when I started playing games, I was 18. I think there are so many young players out there with so much potential to, you know, really make a career out of this. But their, you know, their families or parents don't really quite understand what esports is. I think it's, you know, 
creating discussion to educate them about this you know we've on like today's show they're talking about how Fortnite is a you know a dangerous game it's a very violent game and it's causing kids to you know be really really mean or aggressive you know that might be true for some kids but you know isn't it up to the parents to sort of educate the kids you know moderate you know school life and you know play balance you know just really make sure that they're living a healthy lifestyle and I think it's something that in esports we do our best to we do our best to ensure that we also take care of ourselves both mentally and uh, physically yeah yeah I absolutely agree with that like um, I think education was a massive roadblock for me as well with like my mother like growing up kind of always just assuming that the game was a hobby and was just taking up too much of my time almost so I think education from like a like I guess uh, like even just fundamentals from like kids growing up in school for parents is such an important thing to do because they need to understand that like kids, the kids growing up now and progressing through kind of like a, a ladder in esports, they're actually developing so many skills as well outside of just esports in general. Like they're getting business skills, they're understanding how to brand themselves on social media, like they're getting marketing skills, they're understanding like more of like the, the management that goes into actually running an esports team as well. Yeah, and I wanted to unpack the sexualization of, of CSGO teams, specifically the female ones that we talked about. Do you think that, uh, like, you've identified that that's happening because of a marketing ploy by these by these teams. Do you think that that's detrimental to the, to the diversity and promotion of women in games in the long run? Or is that something that's acceptable at the moment? I think it's up to different women to decide how they want to go about things you know there are some women there who do sexualize themselves and that's their branding and you know I don't think there's anything wrong with that if this is what they want go for it you know I don't think anyone should have a say in what they want to do in their life you know for me I just I I don't sexualize myself I'm just I just try to create a personality that you know people want to come to me to talk about these things I'm trying to promote you know mental health I'm trying to promote positivity you know work hard for what you want that's very much um what I'm trying to promote and I think it's different for every female and um you know with sort of the sexualization of things we it's very much brought over from the mainstream um, marketing you know we see you know a lot of advertisements sexualizing women you know for a perfume ad you know you know a fast food chain or you know things like that it's it's very much something that you know we consider the norm and I think when we sort of disrupt that norm it creates a discussion you know you see something that's different you want to talk about it you're like hey you know this is something that's different going on in the community yeah it was interesting you're talking about things different from the norm it instantly made me think of when I played uh, semi-professional CSGO many moons ago there was a Vox Eminor before they were renegades went overseas it was either an, an MSI or a Western Digital competition at a trade show and they had uh, female booth models but also male booth models as well which was really interesting to see yeah and that caused some interesting discussion on the forums but like you said Zane it's it's come a long way since uh, since five years ago I think the discussion on on those forums wouldn't be the same as a discussion these days all right fantastic so it's some pretty good discussion so far is there is there any other is there any other questions I guess that you wanted to ask me as a person who's who's running a business uh, who's going through the process of scaling up or is there any suggestions that you wanted to give myself from business and games or to any other companies within the space whether team owners organization owners or anything like that um this was sort of a question for more newer teams or um 
you know, teams just starting out or organisations, how, how would you, what sort of advice would you give them if they were sort of merging into the esports indus- uh, industry, trying to make a name for themselves? Because I think there's a lot of, a lot of really good orgs out there. They're quite, they're quite small, but they have the right intentions. How do you tell them to go about things? Look, I think, uh, I guess, put, let's put the diversity thing aside for a second. When I, when I talk to VCs at the moment within this space, they all come to me instantly and say, I want to buy a team, every single one, the same one. And most of the sponsors come to me. And for me, in my honest opinion, there's already nine teams with investment in Australia. So why be the 10th? So you need to, you need to create something different. And there's nothing, there's nothing in esports that's wholly new everybody's done things like this before you know there's a guy called sam harris listen to his podcast sometimes he does exactly this except he's got ten thousand people in the audience instead instead of you know the amount that we have and, and he's quite popular in that fact so if you if you can take things from parallel industries or even from other teams and take a look so one of the examples is jam jam gaming uh solid tier two team I, I class them out at the moment and what they're doing is they're working with schools to do some pathway programs and provide themselves with a different marketing alternative than to just logos on jerseys um we've seen Avant in the past, you know, when I worked at Corsair, we sponsored them. Avant were very solid with all of their content, doing a lot more content than anyone else. But what my my general suggestion to these people is is the frame of mind. Think about yourself just as much as a PR agency and a marketing company as you are an esports team. If you look at the difference between esports and traditional sports, how often do you see an AFL player with a very solid Instagram or Twitter who's talking all the time about brands, who's always tweeting, I'm going out in my hashtag Toyota to drive today if they're sponsored by them, or um, you know, Richmond Football Club sponsored by NIB Health Insurance. You don't see them all the time talking about that, attending their events and stuff. So there is an advantage of, of esports where you know, we are used to promoting more things about brands, but thinking about them in other ways. There's no, there's no reason that you can't, as an esports team, go and do talk at local high schools to build uh, to build brand fans and and try to grow them up. Team Immunity were fantastic at doing that in the past, attending the Tech Games Fest or attending the Monash Computer Games Bootcamp every year, talking to 400 high school kids about how to get into esports and that kind of stuff. So if you can take ideas from from parallel industries and, and take ideas from other marketing. Um, you can definitely put it into what you do and, yeah, become more than just a logo and a jersey. Because obviously, you know, for, for me, working at Corsair for a couple of years and um, and Thermal Take for, for double that, often, you know, we'll get proposals nonstop from them. Um, but it's always it's always kind of generally the same thing. And often right now, obviously, the joke is uh, a Fortnite team PMing every single, DMing every single Twitter page saying, hey, pick me up, I'm a Fortnite team. So it takes more than just a big game. Uh, to, to get big and then you know if you if you are worried about picking up new marketing ideas I think there's a couple of different ways to structure a team one of which is become very good in one game expand from there Chiefs did exactly that another way is to pick up teams in emerging industries Darksided did that rode the fighting games wave very well um, or you know you can you can go for any other method you see fit so I think if you can take those kind of three things in mind number one be different number two do some marketing and number three think about your positioning and how you want to push yourself I think that's yeah that's that's my three that's my three things I'd say does that answer the question yeah definitely definitely thank you <laughs> yeah fantastic you can tell you can probably tell us one I get a lot so I've, I've had a long time to think about that question uh, I, yeah I didn't even have to plant someone in the audience to ask me fantastic <laughs> that's a great answer yeah great so Zane if if someone's uh, creating if someone wants to create the next professional esports team we've seen uh, Order do this in the past we've seen Greyhounds do this Kings come come out of 
you could say seemingly nowhere as far as the public knows with, with VC money and some funding. How do they keep diversity at the forefront of their mind when they're building a company from literally zero? I think for those companies and for them, for like new startups, I guess, and for people looking to kind of breach into the esports industry, I think it's just, it's so important to just keep in mind the, like all of these groups. Like, I think, like the, in the, in the long run, I guess, like you said, there, there's kind of this need for these people to feel represented and to feel, I guess, normal within this coexisting industry. So I, I think like even you, like Stephanie touched on with being able to show in, like people show into the lives of all of these players and not even the players, like, like show the, like what they do, show like the gaming house, like do a tour, like let them know that like, that these players are like normal people. And I think it's, it's, it's really important to, to just make it seem like, well, like it is normal. I think all of these players need to understand that what's happening is normal and it's, it's okay to not be the majority in a, in a massive audience or, yeah. Yeah, it's funny. Every single podcast I do, we always, it always can be boiled down to one word. And I guess this, the word for this podcast would be normalizing or normalization of stuff. And, you know, I guess touching on your question before, Steph, as well, that like Zane was saying, that the house tours and that kind of stuff, it, it, helps, it helps bring things to light and helps show the scale as well. You know, even for me working in the space, I didn't realise that so many teams had gaming houses till I saw videos of it. And me as someone who's been around in esports for a while, I went, wow, it's a real thing now. There, there are people physically living in houses, not their mother's basements, drinking Mountain Dew, playing WoW like the, like the cliche is, um, with, with neckbeards, etc. But, you know, some people actually living in a house and, and training together. So, yeah, I think the normalisation aspect would be great so as far as a business let's say they're a little bit more down the track um how to how do businesses and organizations go about promoting diversity to their audience do either you want to tackle that or both of you yeah i i think it's through collaboration i think it's with reaching out to potential organizations that are either below them or above them I don't think it's a, a massive factor, and I think it's actually creating creating events and and at this point creating like a conversation, creating the talk that needs to happen, um, and it can exist in like female tournaments or LGBT events or even just mixed teams between the between all of them. Like as Zane said, um, you know about the female tournaments. Um, you know, I don't think there was much of a conversation going on before. Um, and I've worked with these guys, but WPGI. Um, before um, that event sort of, you know, started up, there wasn't much word going on about female teams. There was sort of, you know, little little rumours or a little, you know, like a few words going around about female teams. But before that, you know, w- it wasn't something that you normally saw. I think once it sort of came out and there were a lot of females in the scene and, you know, started off with, you know, four teams and we ended up with eight teams and now there's an abundance of female players and there are some that are, you know, playing for top-tier organisations. You know, we have um, Connie and I met her initially uh, at the very start of my esports career and she's now playing with Gfinity in a mixed team, you know. She's she's an incredible player and she started off with an all-female team and now she's playing in a mixed team with other boys and that just shows, that just goes to show that, you know, 
people can really you know fit into any environment there's there's no sort of like normal um or like you know we, we shouldn't have something that we like we shouldn't expect that a csgo team to be all male for example you know you should just expect it to be five players male or female lgbt like however they identify it's just five players at the end of the day who love the game yeah so you know i think looking at Looking at history, I'm not a historian, but but looking at, at some of the other industries and, and what seems to happen is that very similar to esports right now is it starts off with kind of segregation and maybe a bit of, of pedestal stuff where you've got female-only tournaments and you've got a women in games mentoring course, which obviously we're running, um, so we're part of that. And, and some of the, you know, we've got the women in games lunch and, and things like that too. Would you agree that these kind of things, the goal is to not have them exist in the future, is to have everything just be integrated is to not have specific women in games lunches or women's tournaments or LGBT um, tournaments or teams? I wouldn't necessarily say that. I think, you know, if you kind of look at the statistics, women are sort of in the minority. There are a lot of us. I just don't think there's enough of us um, working in the industry. I think that, you know, sort of having these events allows women to sort of connect with each other and, you know, find other people. You might be able to find a little bit of comfort, you know, if you're struggling with something that if you're struggling with something, you might be able to connect with other women at these events. I wouldn't say segregation is necessarily necessary, but we would definitely want it to sort of become something, for example, like sort of just a away from the minorities to sort of find comfort within each other. But, but yeah. Yeah, and it, and it brings me back to a discussion that I had with someone uh, yesterday, and I don't—I'm not sure if they want to be named or not, so I won't. And and yeah, we were talking about the importance of um, the importance of not creating an echo chamber, I guess. And it's similar to the there's a thing that goes on at the moment called like the panel pledge, where if you're a panel of five white guys, you will stand down until they have a female or someone else with other diversity aspect on it. But basically, it, yeah, it was about it was about having other people in the audience and about not you know let's let's say. I guess their concern was if you have an echo chamber of, of only one section of people and then they all start agreeing on things without bringing others into the audience, uh, it cuts off the education aspect. So let's say that I'm not here. Let's say that the, that the diversity panel is, is three female CSGO players. Would, do, you, do you agree that there's not as much that's going to be done if you don't have other people in the audience to learn from it? I just think the more... Um the more diverse the panel is, the more opinions there are. You know, my experience from, you, you know, your experience might be very different. Um, our experiences, you know, would obviously affect the way that we see things, you know, your opinion on, you know, these like women in game luncheons and things like that, that that would differ from mine, for example. And I think with sort of segregation being a sort of, you know, viewed as an issue in the esports scene, I think it's, I think it will be something that we just slowly have to navigate through. At the moment, it's about starting a conversation. And now that a conversation has started, I think, you know, we, we have started to see things not, you know, as segregated. Like I said, with Connie playing in Gfinity, you know, she was one of the, she was one of the, she was the female playing at Gfinity and she was, um, she got, she got quite a lot of attention for that. And she played brilliantly as well. She was playing on par with all the other players. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to add to that at all? No. <laughs> Fantastic. Man, a few words. That's great. So I guess wrapping this up a little bit now, once again, talking about actionable items, what, what's working right now in the promotion of diversity? We've, we've mentioned a lot about um, some female-only tournaments and such, but what, is, what are some other things that we can look at? Obviously, the games development industry is a fantastic promoter of, of um, many different versions of diversity. So what can we do in esports to replicate that? I think 
you, you just said it, I guess, with the games industry, like in Melbourne, in kind of the in Australia, in the in the wider world, there's such a massive role now in having events where they're just accepting of anyone who is coming and I feel like everyone in those events now feels like they have a voice as well like they're valued they're a part of this community and I think that's kind of happening as well in esports a little bit with like women women in games like these events are helping female players or females who want to enter the industry feel like they have a voice and feel like they're a part of something and that's why I think they're those sort of events are so important and they're, they're so needed in this industry as well. You know, I, I definitely agree with that one. I also think, um, you know, not just not just for women, but, you know, for people of, you know, different ages, you know, we have older players in the scene, we have younger players in the scene. I think organisations have a very powerful position over this, you know, to help someone, like for a young player, for example, make a career out of esports, you know, help them gain skills that, you know, they wouldn't necessarily gain in a, you know, a classroom, you know, education isn't necessarily set in a classroom setting, it could literally be set in, it's set, you know, anywhere, you know, in an esports, in a team, you know, having a business role with a organisation, it's, it's, there's a lot of ways to go about things. And I think people need to realise that. Yeah, fantastic. So, is there is there anything that you'd like to you'd like to mention about diversity? Is there any is there any any other questions I didn't ask today, or anything that you think that needs to be unpacked before we move on? Because obviously, I don't expect us to solve it today, yeah. uh, and it, you know that's not going to happen. But yeah, we've got some time to bring some things up, and feel free to take a few seconds to think. And if you don't have anything, that's fine too. No, I think there isn't really a conclusion currently. I think everything that's being worked on through like campaigns and education are all definitely steps in the in the right direction and I think it needs to be a group discussion almost between everyone in the industry on on what do we do next Um, how do we create kind of this next movement within diversity in esports and I think even with like the Melbourne esports open that's happening at the end of this year that's such a great platform kind of to be able to use to be able to use it as a, like a voice almost for like normalizing diversity within this industry. Sort of um, touching on the idea of like sort of the you know conclusions. I honestly don't think that you know this issue will honestly ever be solved. There will always be something that will come up, and you know we're going to have to tackle it again. But I think once you get the hang of accepting something, it'll be easier to, to accept something else. You know something that you're not used to. You know you kind of have to understand it, learn about it, educate yourself. And then you'll, you know, something new will come along and you're just going to have to do it again. But I think, you know, it was, it was the, again, the idea about normalising the minority. You know, there's going to be new minorities that will pop up in the future. And I think that's, um, that's one thing, yeah. So, Zane, you, you mentioned the, the games development industry. What are some specific things that we can look at globally to, to learn from, to try to replicate their success? I think in terms of kind of what they're doing that is working... Um, it's these events. It's they're holding like networking events. They're holding game jams. All of these things are inclusive, and they they're allowing people to kind of create their own spaces within the space almost, which is like a, quite an amazing thing to watch. Coming from like starting in the games industry a year and a half ago to now, even in this short period, there's such a massive step in like allowing like promoting LGBT communities, allowing people like of colour to speak and females to 
just kind of take on roles of just just what the majority would do. Okay, great. So if if somebody who's listening here live or, or online wants to follow you or learn a bit more about you, where can they do so? Uh, my Twitter handler is at ZJ Woodhead. And uh, that's it. Yeah, fantastic. And for you? Uh, my handle's rain underscore O's. So that's R-A-Y-N-E underscore O-C-E. And that's pretty much every handle I have, Instagram, everything. Fantastic. So are there any closing comments that you'd like to leave with people to, to think about in regards to this topic? I really would like, um, you know, other females and males to sort of think about gender a little bit more. Think about, you know, younger players in particular, you know, older players in particular. You know, we want we want there to be a really diverse group. You know, there's a lot to learn from each other, I think. And I, th- I just want people to be sort of aware of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I think... On, this, on the same line with sexual orientation and LGBT communities, it's really important as well to kind of just be considerate and think about kind of the actions you're doing before kind of acting on them. Thank you for everybody here who's, who's come to attend. Just uh, once again mentioning, feel free to grab yourself from Red Bull and, and also thanks to our supporters, PLE Computers and Paradox Gaming. Paradox Gaming has been a fantastic supporter of diversity so far and are really pushing themselves forward along with pushing forward the education of esports. They've been supporting a whole bunch of people who, who can't necessarily afford to um, join in the education courses to be able to upskill within esports, which you know I'm a massive believer in obviously it's you know what i've staked a lot of my business on so let's hope it succeeds so once again uh we'll have a couple of minutes break and then we'll kick off the q a uh with the microphone over here so thank you so that wraps up the live discussion portion of the podcast Once again, thanks to our guests for coming along and you can follow them on social media, as is said. Next coming up is the Q&A where we get members from the audience who came along to come and ask some questions of us. And once again, thanks to our supporters for this event, PLE Computers and Paradox Gaming AU. Questions you want to ask? So yeah, who wants to be the brave, the brave first person to, yeah, come on, come on down. You can feel free to line up or come down whenever you want. That's fine. Yes. Um, So... I know a few people here know me and I'm a caster, I commentate over different games. Um, my question is, I guess, to all of you because um, it's mostly about how do you think that we can promote for more diversity in commentating in esports because right now, you know, there's a couple of you know women and um, other ethnicities and stuff who are, you know, in the limelight for casting, but there's not a whole lot. How do you guys think that we can promote more people from different backgrounds getting into casting? I think, like, looking, I mean, from League of Legends' point of view, I think, like, EU LCS has done a really good job of it with Shocks, how she actually just hosts EU LCS now. She's actually such a big figure in kind of, like, making sure the, like, the events run smoothly, and she's a role model for, like, all these female players, like, making them... Yeah, I, I think... They've done a really good job of kind of getting a, like a, a female role within the casting team almost as a host or like just interviewing or anything on the side kind of and just kind of pushing her to the front of like as a voice for, for Riot Games. Um, yeah, I've, uh, it's a really good question. I think, you know, looking in the CS scene, we've got, you know, amazing commentators, you know, like Pansy. She's, she's absolutely incredible. She's branded herself so well. She's so talented and, you know, 
if we sort of look more from like the Australian scene, we've got you know casters like Vandy, and she's um, she's also an incredible caster based in Australia, and she you know she, I think with diversity, I think um, the more games and the more knowledge you have about different games, the better opportunity you have at getting a um, a gig, and I think with um, commentating, it's you really just sometimes just got to take whatever you've got, you know, whatever whatever opportunity comes along, you, you seize that opportunity, you make the most out of it. And I think that's one of the best ways to sort of go about diversity. It's just experience and then, um, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately, as you know, it's hard to make money in commentary, no matter uh, yeah, uh, where you're from and what you're doing. So, yeah, getting some ferocious nods from the audience. So, uh, yeah, I think it's I think it's about taking opportunities that are presented. And, and one thing that will help a lot is the evolution of talent agencies, and that's almost a pun into Evolve Talent Agency that's opened up in Australia, who will hopefully be able to push some more people forward. I, I'm doing a little bit with a few different stage hosts, and I've got a predominantly female um, or, or at least a 50-50% female contingent of people in there as well doing MC and hosting for events and that's that's a way that I would suggest any commentator to get into the scene is is to look at places like PAX and EB Expo um, and there's so many other ones now you know M-Wave I feel like they go to about 400 a week uh, of, of all these supernovas and comic cons and and um, and that kind of stuff so if you can push yourself towards that area and, and also you can push some of your friends who you think might be good at it towards that area because most um, most PR and marketing people hate doing that stuff. I think Corsair liked me because I like doing it. But, uh, yeah, a lot of the other companies don't don't like doing it all. So if you can push yourself towards there, it's a great way to make to make 300-plus bucks a day and, yeah, off you go. So, yeah, definitely finding a manager would be the, the crux of what I'm saying for most of these people, and there's more of those coming around now. Cool. Next. Let's go. Hey, um, you said we have a fair bit of time, so I can have two questions? Yeah, go for it, go for it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Um, the first one is you kind of talked about how um, businesses can increase diversity. What is the draw card for businesses? They're about making money. Why should they? Like, if you were to convince a business to be more diverse, aside from the moral high ground of that it's better... <laughs> because everyone deserves equal opportunity, but why should they do it? How does it benefit an esports business? Um, and to add to that, the second question, this is for all of you as well, what's one thing using um, social media or Twitch or YouTube, those, kind of, those, those direct tools to the audience, what's one thing that an esports business um, or organisation can physically do to improve diversity or promote diversity? Yeah, tackling the first one first. Uh, sure. Looking at once again, looking at uh, Dominic Remen, the, the CEO of Gfinity Australia New Zealand, um, if, which is for those of you who don't know, a franchise-based esports tournament here. Um, previously, the general manager of Sydney Sixers Big Bash League team, and um, yeah, he, you know, he stated that businesses, if they want to succeed, need to have large amounts of diversity in the workforce um, and he has some studies to back that up and I'd suggest going to ask him exactly what those are. I don't know them off the top of my head but yeah, he's a big believer in that fact and, and I agree because once again it's, it's what we talked about 
in the regular podcast is that you don't want to create an echo chamber. You know, if you have, if you make an esports team and you're all from this one game uh, and you all have this one set of experience, often you'll be very biased towards that. And we've seen that in the past on a business scenario with a whole team being made up of, say, League of Legends players and managers uh, and, and sponsors and people like that. And they're missing out on these other opportunities like fighting games and missing out on CSGO and they may be spending too much money in Rocket League because they don't understand. So if you're able to pick up you know, all of these different uh, yeah, different sections of the industry, it's going to help promote your diverse workforce. But, yeah, I'll let the other two of you tackle that. And, and also, I think you're both more qualified to answer the second question than I am. So, Okay, well, it looks like I'm going. Um, so I think with sort of looking at it from a diversity perspective, you know, let's just say, for example, let's say Australia being invited to international tournaments. You know, that's something that, you know, Australia has been excluded out of in the past um, and in a lot of games and a lot of tournaments, you know, um, I think for businesses, number one, you know, there's a lot more money in them. There's a lot more, um, there's international exposure as well. So recently, you know, having Chiefs represent um, Oceana in the PGI, um, actually not recently, currently um, in the PGI uh, PUBG tournament, that's, you know, that's an incredible opportunity to show that, you know, in Australia, we do have a very active scene and, you um, you know, we've seen, you know, other organisations like Atletico also representing um, Australia. And I think in terms of social media, to, your, um, to answer your second question, I think it's really important to stay active and um, keep up the work. There's, you know, there's a lot of times when people just sort of let things slide or let things go a little bit and... Um, I think it's really important to stay on top of your feet when it comes to social media because it's constantly changing. Every single day there's new things coming in. You need to be aware of that. You need to be constantly updating, staying connected with your audience as well. Um, yeah. I think for the first question, definitely on the same boat as Stephanie with the kind of the region thing. Um, so I think being able to kind of – all my examples are League of Legends, but – I think for like League of Legends, recently Riot Games hosted uh, Oceanic play in Rift Rivals, and it was actually in Australia. It was hosted in Australia, so all these international teams got to come to Australia, and they put an uh, Oceanic Pro League game on their main channel for the first time as well, which gave them incredible exposure. And now, even OPL now has gone from a couple thousand views to sometimes like ten thousand. It's it's a really come a really far way. And for the second part of the question, I think also with social media, it's really important to have like a strong brand online. And also, I think it, like with Twitch and YouTube recently, they've really been calling out bad behavior online as well. They've been banning and kind of permanently, well, temporarily disabling people's accounts for kind of going against their updated like code of contact on their terms. And I think everyone can kind of take a, a page from that. Yeah, all right. Any other so we had a couple other people interested. Hi. So um, moving past diversity 101, we often have these kinds of conversations about diversity with people who are diverse. Or we'll have conversations about feminism in feminist spaces. We'll have conversation about queer communities within queer communities. But we're often just creating echo chambers. We already know these things. We know the challenges. We know where we need to go. But we're often not the ones who are able to bring about that change. So how do we move past 
diversity 101 and have these conversations in a space where people who actually can enact change do so and start caring about it as well. Do you want to start? I think answering your question, like in the games industry, uh, like the government themselves, like Film Victoria are playing such a massive role now in promoting and giving like scholarships and grants to studios to allow them to kind of take on more staff members from diverse backgrounds. And I think that helps with like normalizing the, these, these minorities within, within this industry as well. And I think that, that's something that could potentially be addressed within esports as well. I definitely agree with what Zane has said. Um, I think it's, you know, important for, you know, people who do have the power and authority to actually um, execute these actions. They, you know, it shouldn't just be a conversation. It should, a conversation should lead to an action. I think um, that's one way to go about things. I definitely think it's not the only way. Um, can't quite, you know, think of other ways at the, um, at the moment, but I, you know, I definitely think there are, um, you know, when there's a larger um, voice sort of out there, you know, saying something, you know, I think um, it should influence others to actually take action about things and not just, you know, talk about it. Yeah, and, and what you touched on, I think, expands on the, well, you, you said the same word, echo chamber, that we talked about a little bit, and it's about, part of it is about promoting uh, people from uh, these backgrounds or, or from, let's let's say, take the, you said, you know, the queer community and, and people only from that, is to bring other people into those environments and to let them ask questions um, and to let them feel comfortable as being part of it. And this is something that I've experienced myself running a Women in Games course and, and we had some people questioning about this panel as well as, as you know, why are there two white guys on the diversity panel? And, and part of my thing was, well, A, I'm the host and, and B, you don't have to assume the sexuality of everyone who's here. Um, but, you know, people need to... People need to have a, a safe space to learn no matter whether they're part of the community or somewhere else. So for me, you know, I've done some learning today myself and as being the host of this. Um, and then also another part to your question, and it's, and it's pointing that you asked Zane this as, as a member of the EGAA, which is the Esports Game Association Australia. Zane is now on the diversity and inclusion panel as part of that too. So I think that, that him and, and uh, it's led by Anna Lockwood and Eileen Beale and a bunch of other fantastic people on there as well. It's up to these kind of industry bottles, bodies sorry, to, to tackle these questions as well and to push it and to, and to ask these questions of, um, you know, let's say there's an esports conference coming up, why is every single panel uh, just a straight, a straight guy? Uh, you know, let's, let's get some other, some other people in there, some other people on stage and let the people have a voice that we talked about. So I guess once again, you know, it goes back to saying let's A, normalise and B, give a voice. I think that's the two takeaways that we've talked about a lot today. If it's okay, I'd also like to add to that. Um, sort of, I just thought about this, and, you know, let's look at it vice versa. Um, with, like, today's show, you know, we, from the esports scene, we see people who aren't really part of the gaming industry or, you know, who really understand games talking about Fortnite. And um, you know, there's a lot of people saying, hey, let's get an esports, you know, specialist up on the Today Show and actually talk about their perspective of things. You know, I think we can, we can see things from both sides, um, and I think... Um, I think, you know, doing something like that, that could be a start and that could just be baby steps towards, um, towards you know, taking action. Yeah, I'm happy to go on the Today Show if they're listening. Do it. <laughs> All right, got another question. 
Hi, my name is Bianca. For those who don't know me, um, I work uh, in esports at a grassroots level with high school students, and I'm also a teacher. And I can see in a lot of, uh, especially like my games classes and stuff, the ratio of um, you know women, or well, younger girls and guys is is very big. Sometimes it's a whole class of guys or maybe one or two girls and in some of the tournaments and events that we've run for high school kids around Australia um, I've also noticed in those numbers that you know um, there also aren't a lot of a lot of girls in that event as well so I guess my main question is um, also how can we take action as the organization at this level of grassroots and encourage um, the smaller minorities you know not just girls like include everyone how can we encourage it and normalize it like you guys said without making it like you need to have these amount of you know genders or sexualities in your team how can we just encourage them to feel confident, feel safe, to actually take part in these events and participate. Because for us, it's about, you know, we just want them to feel safe and feel like they can just get involved so that hopefully that can then carry through to the professional level that we've been talking about. So how can we start at the bottom and how can I encourage them is basically what I'm asking. Thanks. Um, so... You know, like uh, I, I would um, just like to start off by saying that I think it's it, you know looking at from a you know, let's just say like a what what's the um, age group of the. Um, um, so when we look at the high school kids, um, it's pretty much from year nine upwards is where we found is the is the good space. So year nine to year twelve. So. So um, from year 9 to 12, um, okay, so I think sort of looking at that age demographic, you know, most of these people are, you know, starting to find themselves as sort of people, I guess, and um, doing a lot of soul searching, I guess, and a lot of personal development. Um, I think it'd be quite intimidating for, you know, maybe a young girl to sort of walk into uh, probably a male-dominated room and, you know, they probably feel like the minority in there. I think... Um, you know, trying to find maybe something, you know, not sure what um, exactly you do in these uh, classes, what exactly you focus on, but finding something that's comfortable for both genders, um, for all ages, I think that might be a good start. You know, some, it might be something that mainly the boys are interested in that the girls aren't so much, or it might be a, a case that, um, you know, some of these girls don't quite understand this and they don't find it interesting. You might be able to educate them a little bit more and they might be able to maybe find an interest in that. Um, I think that might be a way to start. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And I think bringing in like a role, like being able to bring in like a, a female role model as well from the industry that is more targeted towards actually helping these women, like to speak to these, these women and these females that you're currently working with and kind of helping them understand that um, it, it's okay to be in esports um, and not excluding the males either. Like, sure, they can come along, but they need to understand that, like, this is also a thing that's happening in this industry. Yeah, I think it's um, I recently, uh, you know, was working with um, STEM programs at um, some high schools, and I found, you know, you know, we can we can draw like from a parallel here, and um, let's just say, you know, um, robotics and engineering, for example, being a very male-dominated industry. Um, you know, there's a lot of STEM programs um, starting to sort of include robotics into their um, education. So with that, um, I think a lot of females don't find it interesting, you know. Um, with 
I think it just might be like a stereotype or assumption that you know they place, but with if you sort of um, try educate them on what robotics really is about, you know, until I actually got into it, I really wasn't interested in it, honestly. But once I actually got into it, understood what it's about, I was like, hey, this is actually pretty cool, and I think other people would like this as well. Yeah, and so diverting from that a little bit, you know, it's fantastic getting new people into the esports industry. And for everyone who's here, we all want it to grow. And taking a macro look at the industry right now, uh, the Gemba Group, estimates there's 1.8 million esports fanatics in Australia um, and also the stats say that that's fairly skewed towards males and then if you look at the general population it's like I think it's 49% female 51% male so if we can get some more women into games as a whole it's fantastic for all of us it means all more money uh, and it means a bigger scene and it means something a lot more sustainable as well on the business side of things too cool do you have any other questions from anyone All right, so my question's more, so I'm only really just entered eSports, so my question's more towards more what I'm known for with the content creating side. So when I was asked, you know, what sort of diversity do we have in our community, I was like, well, it should be, it should be 50-50. Now, when going back and running the audit, I was like, oh, wow, our community saturated, saturated in, um, in males. So, you know, we've tried to fix this by making more diverse. But my problem is, how do I approach you know, people, how do, I, how do I go about saying hey to this particular female, you know, streamer or caster, would you like to be a part of this without maybe my approach would be, well, we want to make diversity, but do I say that? Do I, what would be the approach is what I'm saying. If, and maybe that applies to a few other people going, we now want to be diverse. How do, we, how do we make this happen? Like, how do we approach people? How do we do this? So that would be my <laughs> question. Um, sometimes I think it might also to do with um, an organisation's sort of morals and values and sort of their visions of what they see in esports. Some content creators maybe have their own visions that might differ from that, and I think that's completely fine. You know, everyone has their differences, and you know, you just got to work around that sometimes. Um, in terms of you know content creators, you know, let's just talk about Twitch streamers, for example. There is an there is a huge variety of personalities and. It's such a diverse platform on Twitch. Twitch has done incredible on diversity, I think. And um, I think if you sort of look at that, um, you know, finding people who have a similar moral, similar like similar vision, but they, um, but they are, I guess, diverse in their own way. They, you know, have their own identity. Um, I think something like that, and sort of creating almost like an army of diversity, is one way to start. Um, I think that's one way to go about it. What do you think? Uh, I agree, yeah. I, I agree with what you say, but I also think in terms of, like, how you asked, do you approach, like, being, like, um, this is the, like, for diversity, I, I assume... I don't think you have to. I think you, you can still just send, send them an email and be like, we're looking to do this with you. Like, that, that is, that's one step in actually normalising everything. Do you have any other questions from the audience? Once again, it can be anything generalistic. It doesn't necessarily have to be on the diversity angle. Well, that's obviously one part. Uh, so I have a bit of a practical question here. So in esports and gaming, there are girls who are known as e-girls or booby streamers and um, girls like that. My, my concern is um, what, what is the practical solution to um, like younger girls playing games that don't want to be stereotyped as just, you know, just an e-girl, just a booby streamer, someone that's a bit of a joke. Um, how do, 
you know, men and other people take these people seriously in a practical way other than just saying, you know, just take time to know them because people don't, people do read books by their covers and a lot of people just say, you're a girl, I'm just going to assume you to be an e-girl that just wants, yeah. So um, with this, I, I kind of wanted to touch on, you know, what you said earlier about two white guys on the panels. You know, it all sort of comes down to assumptions. I think um, with some Twitch streamers, what you see in one female streamer can't apply to another female streamer. They're both different. Um, I think people make that mistake a lot, and that's a very common mistake we all make sometimes. Um, I think um, it's important to realise that how one person brands themselves doesn't apply to others and it shouldn't be you shouldn't you know apply that label to another person um i think you know it's it's the same thing as you know when you said two white guys on a panel like yes you just made an assumption but you know their experiences are different um and i think i think it's important not to make assumptions and actually um understand people before you actually um well, I guess you shouldn't really label them at all, but just just understand them. Understand people are different. That's it. Yeah, and it's and it's also I guess open to being open open to being educated. You know, the person that made that comment, and then I replied to them, and they said, "Well, that makes sense now." You know, they're, they're able to take that in, and that goes across in anything in life, right? If you wanna if you wanna be a social worker, there's no point trying to counsel someone who doesn't want to be helped or anything like that. So you you know, it's I guess it's up to the person as well to be open to that idea. And once again, that comes back to normalising that we talked about the whole time. If something's really odd and weird, it's it's very you know, if it's very odd and weird to this person that that someone might feel a certain way uh, sexually you know they're not going to be likely to to have any base of understanding or want to learn uh, so if we can start to normalize it and then it becomes something that's easy to discuss all right more questions any more questions someone asked me in a mentor course once why the sky is blue it was good uh, hey, uh, my name is Hidayat. Uh, great talk so far. Um, so current entrepreneurship students, but I'm just more interested in, um, you know, obviously if you want to be a streamer, um, you know, financial sustainability. So if you're really just mainly targeting, say, Twitch streaming, um, what sort of revenue streams would you also target to leverage, you know, minimize your risk? Um, and, you know, if you're you know, sort of targeting a specific target market, like, would you also try to expand and probably target, you know, the mass, like, yeah, so I'll tackle your second question first, which is what should what should you target? Yeah. My answer would be understand what your branding is and know where you're going to. So, for example, um, a, a lovely female streamer I sponsored for a while who's great at, at batting back um, horrible co horrible comments and, and neckbeards on her, on her Twitch is Oasis. And she focuses on Overwatch, and her name is actually Oasis on Overwatch. Oasis is her actual name. Um, and for her, you know, she's very well known for, for Overwatch, and that's what she's branded herself around. She loves the game. She plays it all the time. It's all she ever tweets about. It's all she ever talks about. Uh, she goes overseas to, to play it and this kind of stuff. Or you could be maybe someone more like Badger Pants. You know, I sponsored him as well. He's spent a long time on ABC Good Game, and he's streaming now. And for him... Uh, the way I describe him is Monty Python. Uh, he's a bit wacky and all over the place. So it's about, you know, using those. You don't have to be either of those two. But using that example is knowing within yourself what your branding is and what you want to follow because it does come with some concerns. One of the only, and I'm using a lot of a lot of Aussie streamers here, but one of the only streamers that I've been able to see really successfully pivot is Loserfruit, who got known very well in League of Legends and then was able to pivot to other games like 
uh, Overwatch and now into Fortnite successfully. Because often what you'll see is that if you pigeonhole yourself into one area, if you're only playing one game, if that game starts to wane in popularity, especially if it's the most popular thing, let's say Fortnite dies in two weeks, who knows, maybe it will, um, and you're only known as a Fortnite streamer and you, and you don't do anything else, then when you try to switch to PUBG or to CSGO or to Dota 2 or, or whatever, uh, you're going to lose a lot of your audience. So, you know, my suggestion to a lot of streamers is it's okay to be known for one thing, but keep, you know, keep going to other things. Um, and yeah, know what your branding is, establish your color scheme, establish your sub emotes, establish what you're calling the people. Um, Badger Pants calls them Badgeronians. Um, you know, I mentored a streamer and, and, um, and she started, she started, you know, naming her subscribers and things like that as well. So building a community around that. Uh, and then the first, the first question, uh, around revenue streams, it is obviously hard in this space, as we talked about similar to esports before is the fact that there's a lot of people not making much money. And then some people making a lot of money. On the business side of things, you've got a massive advantage being in Australia in the fact that um, you can survive off not too much money as a sole as a sole business owner. Uh, have done this, so I can attest to that fact. And it's it's great that there's such a supportive community on Twitch of people subscribing and donating. So some of the main revenue streams, obviously, is ad revenue that you get, which you can't rely on these days, especially if you're on YouTube. Uh, everybody knows about that stuff globally. Um, and then you're getting ad revenue off Twitch. You can you can look into doing things like Patreon, but from what I've seen from Twitch streamers, Patreon's not something that's been so successful. Uh, but however, a lot of Twitch streamers don't put a lot of effort into it, so then it's always the effort versus reward. I don't know what the answer is because I haven't seen people do it. And then you've got Amazon. Um, their integration with Twitch has been fantastic for making Twitch people money. So dealing a lot in the technical PR space, the, the tech YouTubers are making serious amounts of money um, or at least a predominant amount of their income off Amazon referral links. And while these people are mainly based around products, because obviously they're doing reviews, you're still attaching products to yourself as a Twitch streamer, and hopefully you are, especially if you're looking to get sponsors. So you need to be wary of, of how you are as a brand ambassador. So not only how you're pushing your own brand, but how you're pushing other people's brands and making sure that that isn't done in a biased place. Um, and it's good that this is recorded, so you can go back and listen to it all, because I'm covering a lot. Um, and, you know, they're, they're kind of your major sources of, of income. And then once again, I would say um, two things. Number one, look at makeup YouTubers because they're fantastic at making money. Um, they, they, they do have an advantage, full disclosure, that their industry has much higher profit margins than most technology companies do in, in our industry. So that is a major advantage. Um, but also that is fantastic at A, engaging with their fans and B, finding new sources of revenue. We mentioned James Charles before, just did a tour around Australia where he sang and then also did some beauty stuff and did some meetups. Um, there's, a, there's a whole bunch of meetups coming later on this year that's run by an Aussie, um, that's run by an Aussie crew they're doing meetups in sydney and melbourne with tanamongu and then a bunch of other traditional uh, youtubers and stuff too so they're really good at engaging with the live audience and doing meets um i don't really know any ones in australia that do that at all like music went to um hybrid world uh the other week with the league of legends finals and stuff like that as well where CyberGamer was as well. But, yeah, I think that if you can look at those kind of things, and it's obvious that the US streamers are becoming a lot better at this as well. Summit 1G is always at PAX. Ammunition's always at PAX. Um, two of the you know, biggest streamers in the world. Then, obviously, there's Ninja that's capitalising on everything from underpants to Uber Eats to doing tournaments against him. So that's, that's my long answer to your short question. Uh, but I think wrapping it up is, is diversification of 
of your income streams, just like uh, most financial planners will tell you in real life as well. Have a lot of different ones coming in. Uh, if I was to give you business advice, I'd say it is to find a bottom line, try to find something that'll fund you enough to survive, um, and then try to work on the other ones to be cream on the top. Yeah. So basically recapping is uh, you know, diversification and focusing on the brand. Yeah, hundred percent. As a as a streamer, and you know, I teach this in the mentoring courses. As a business person, you're a brand yourself, whether you want to be or not. Um, you know, Nick Vanzetti from ESL, the managing director, also the chairman of the EGAA, probably what we call like the goat of esports in Australia. He's a brand as much as he doesn't think he is a lot of the time, or doesn't necessarily want to be. Um, everyone knows who he is. You know, you look at Ralph Reichardt, the C- CEO of ESL. He's a brand in himself. Uh, you know, you look at anyone who's in these kind of top positions. It's obvious that. If you look to traditional industries that CEOs and such are starting to become more brands themselves, Elon Musk, Steve Jobs, you know, being a few of those. Um, and then you see that, you know, some of the other ones like Jensen from NVIDIA and such too. So, yeah, whether you're, a, you know, if you want to have any sort of success as a, as a streamer, generally you have to work on something like your brand. And once again, no one has new ideas in any industry. So take a look at what some other people do um, and think about, yeah, think about how you want to position yourself. Um, so can I ask one more last question? Yeah, go for it. Um, so I'm part of uh, a blockchain society with RMIT University. And um, just in your opinion, like, what do you see the space, like the esports industry with the blockchain? Do you find any opportunities with that? Yeah, definitely. If you if you look at the global market, uh, Unicorn, who started off as a wagering company and then developed yeah, their own... Yeah, develop their own cryptocurrency, UKG. So, so they do um, they do wagering through their own coin, uh, which which has its its highs and lows, obviously, um, which is why there's so many gambling committees now being established. But they also have um, they have competitions where you can where you can use their cryptocurrency. That's a fairly basic transaction based thing. Instead of winning dollars, you might win UKG, and they have a stadium in the MGM Grand in Las Vegas to to facilitate that kind of stuff. Looking at something that's more like action for change, I guess, is Horizon. State and one of their co-founders is actually based out of Melbourne. His name is Jamie Skeller, part owner of GGZ Bar, and was at the um, conference. So one way that I see Horizon State working quite well is is for those of you who don't know, it's a democracy-based cryptocurrency token. So the way that cryptocurrency works is it could be, it's all, it's everything's public that happens. It's all verified, uh, and and for lack of a better term, it can't be hacked. So that if I am voting in an election. Um, six people in this room, all their PCs will have to verify and store that information that I voted in that election. So that means that the votes can't be um, screwed up in any way whatsoever. It uses the token, the token gets burned, it disappears afterwards, you can't go back and change that vote. So there's ways for audiences then to interact. You know, it's chatting off microphone before with some people about games development and how game devs are having a hard time or they're not chatting to their industry. So you can use, hopefully, some things like HST in the future to discuss. Um, one way that I see it working with a, with an, someone like EGAA is to get... Um, is, is to be able to get votes, you know, whether we're voting in people at our AGM uh, when we're changing our board in March next year as per our constitution or whether we're voting for who to add in the diversity panel or whether we're voting for, you know, should esports be the Olympics um, uh, and things like that. So, yeah, I think something like HST is a fantastic one. Mm-hmm. And then there's obviously – there's another coin as well, which name eludes me, which is now rewarding people for watching Twitch um, and it's rewarding people for watching YouTube. And part of that is to get away from the uh, controversial – uh, pay per uh, like pay per view model that advertising is at the moment, uh, and this was I was listening to it on Triple J Hack on the way here in the car, um, and causing some of those issues because people don't want to pay for content, but then in the end that's degrading content because it's in the best interest 
for these companies to make clickbaity stuff. Clickbait kind of started on YouTube. So if you're, if you're getting rewarded for people watching your long form content, Great for those of people who make two and a half hour podcasts. Uh, not so that much great for people who make one minute videos, but if you're pumping out one minute videos, a hundred of those a day should be fine. So, yeah, I think that's three things. So I think that there needs to be um, needs to be more discussion around blockchain, mm. uh, cryptocurrency, and esports. But obviously, it's a they're all buzzwords right now, so it's hard to. Yeah, it's hard to wrap all those up. But if you're looking to ask some more questions of anyone, 100% would suggest someone like Jamie Skeller um, would it's also... Actually, sorry, it's actually funny you bring it up because we're actually working with partnership with HSC right now, actually, at the moment. Okay. So we're actually funded by NIM, uh, Melbourne Blockchain Centre. Um, we're actually working with Andrew, um, Andrew Mitchell, who heads the social media and works with uh, Jamie Skeller. Um, Unicorn, like I was actually at the pitch at Melbourne Blockchain Centre and I found it amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's amazing, like the amount of technology that can be applicable to esports. So yeah, it's growing industry for sure. Yeah, fantastic. And then one last one to talk about as well would be Skrilla, which is another uh, which is another kind of win and lottery based cryptocurrency. It has some similarities to Horizon State, and once again, it's Australian. Australian company too, and um, I think Jamie's from H- from HST is on their board of uh, yeah. board of advisors and stuff too. So yeah, fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, thank Cheers. you. Have any other any other questions from anyone? Don't be shy. If not, I might just backtrack a little bit. Actually, backtrack quite a lot. Um, the advice that you gave about Twitch streamers being aware of um, how you know their branding and what games they associate it with. Um, you know, I just wanted to add to that, you know, there are some streamers out there who, you know, brand themselves around their personality and, you know, particular, you know, maybe like a, a particular style, like, you know, we have Dr. Disrespect and he's very, you know, iconic, like he's, he's very, um, he's pretty much idolized himself. Like when you see the, um, when you see his, you know, the wig, the, the awesome sunnies, like you immediately think Dr. Disrespect, you know, that in itself is an icon now. And, um, you know, looking from the Australian scene, we have, um, you know, streamers such as like Vondal, he very much brands himself around his personality very much you know around the humor the energy and um i think that was like one thing that twitch streamers should also think about um and sorry if that you know did take the conversation all the way back to the beginning but i just thought yeah yeah exactly and it it goes back to the advice i gave about making a gaming team as well as what makes you different there's uh you know, thousands and thousands of Twitch streamers. And I think some people are starting to realise now, um, Elgato especially is, is starting to understand now that, that small to mid-level Twitch streamers is a market segment within itself and it's massive uh, of people. And there was an article recently, uh, I can't remember who posted it, but it was an investigative article where they interviewed over long-term people who'd been streaming to zero viewers for five years. And yeah, it seemed like I'd skimmed it very quickly, but not enough to have confidence to look over it. But there are so many, yeah, so many different people. Yeah, who was streaming Twitch. All right, I think that wraps us up. Thank you. So we've got some we've got some time put aside for networking, so if there's any questions you want to ask of any of us, I think we do it. We might have some pizza coming as well sometime soon. Yeah, all right, we're going to go we're going to go see if it's still open and get it. Otherwise, we might migrate over as a as a team over there. But once again, thanks thanks to everyone for coming. Um, the Business and Games podcast has been on a bit of a hiatus at the moment. We're, we're going through some internal structure changes and some scaling up, which you should have some announcements coming out soon, which is fantastic. Otherwise, um, 
we'll be jumping into some more of these podcasts with uh, international guests and we've got some high profile Australian guests coming up soon as well the next next live event will be uh, in Canberra on August the 16th and if you happen to just teleport up there on that day feel free to feel free to come along it's with uh, myself and Rowan Sawyer who owns the Essendon Bombers League of Legends team also is the CEO of QE Sports which is a VC fund for esports in Australia and we'll be chatting about esports investment and employment where to begin so it's a great opportunity for anyone who wants to skill up or wants to make any investments and that doesn't necessarily mean that you need to have a million dollars in your back pocket it could mean that you've got a couple of hundred bucks that you didn't want to put into that you didn't want to put into cryptocurrency and you want to buy a couple of order shares or you want to privately invest in a company you can do that too um but yeah if you have any suggestions for anyone you want to hear in a podcast or any topics feel free to come and and let me know and it's very similar to what i do with the with my mentoring course when I do my Q&As come at me with a specific person and I'll see if I can make it happen otherwise just let me know a market segment or a couple of different people you'd like me to attack and I'll see if I can ask some questions of them cool thank you that wraps up our podcast today if you're looking to learn more about us listen to previous podcasts or join in on the next live podcast feel free to check us out on twitter at business in games and also on facebook forward slash business in games our next live podcast will be august the 18th in canberra act so please feel free to head along if you're interested that will be with rowan sawyer a very experienced sports executive and then moved into the esports space Uh, he's been part of the ese he's been part of the essendon bombers football team picking up an esports squad he's also the ceo of q esports which is an investment arm in australia too so we'll be talking about esports investment and employment otherwise we'll have more online only podcasts coming out soon as well once again thanks to our supporters for this event PLE Computers and Paradox Gaming AU you can check them out at PLE Computers on Twitter and at Paradox Gaming AU on Twitter as well thanks and bye for now